Well, one thing that you can say about Joseph is he was not the kind of person that would say to you, it can't get any worse. Because it seems like it just always got worse for him, doesn't it? Maybe you, maybe you think that you're in a place and you're going, it can't get any worse. And really, wow, it can, you know. <laughs> it really can get worse. It can always get worse. And, uh, and, and so he, he's not the kind of person that says that because he's just gone through situation after situation. You know, he's been torn away from his loving father. His brothers have rejected him and sold him into slavery. He's found himself in in uh, prison uh, for something he didn't really do, uh, just just terrible circumstances, and and then in prison he's he's forgotten. Uh, he he thinks maybe there's like a life preserver there. He's helped somebody that has come into the king's presence, and he's thinking this is going to somehow redeem the situation, but it doesn't. He, you know, when you think the worst thing you can experience is prison, then you suddenly discover that no, it's worse when you're forgotten in prison when nobody remembers and you're just locked in and you as far as you know you will be there forever as long as as uh, the king's bodyguard is in the position that he's in you're gonna you're gonna be held in that house prison right there for forever and it's just as it's just as bad as things can get and you know the bible says humble yourself and in the proper time, he will exalt you. Humble yourself, and in the proper time, he will exalt you. You come to the end of yourself. I want to just continue with this story of Joseph that we've been uh, looking at. And uh, we find ourselves at the, the season where finally... After all of these defeats, after all of these uh, situations that have come against Joseph, after everything, you know, pushing him down again and again and again, when he thought it couldn't get any worse, it got worse again in his situation. Finally, we're at that moment in the story where the whole story pivots, everything turns, and Joseph is lifted up from his forgotten place in the prison and raised up into uh, Pharaoh's palace and Pharaoh's court. And it all begins, again, like it has so many times in Joseph's life, with a dream. Pharaoh has a dream. Let me just say to you right now, you know, um, it doesn't matter how high up you get, you know, Pharaoh, all these kind of, President of the United States, rulers, all these kinds of people, God can get at you. If God wants to get it, if God wants to get at, at the President of the United States, you don't have to worry about it. He is able. You, you might think to himself, oh, no, these people, they're insulated, they're protected. They're, they're. If God wants to get to you, he can get to you. And here we find Pharaoh, and God wants to get to Pharaoh. He's had a plan that he's been unfolding over years and years and years. We know 14 years that Joseph has been in prison, yet God has had a plan he's, that he's been unfolding. And again, now, it begins like it so often has done in Joseph's life. It begins with a dream. And it's a terrible dream that Pharaoh has. And this is what it says. We're, we're actually going to be in Genesis chapter 41. I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to kind of say it in my own words here, the beginning of the chapter, and we'll jump in around verse 14 when I begin to read. But um, that, this is more than a dream. It is a dramatic nightmare that he can't get, get away from even when he wakes up. 
In his dream, he sees seven fat, sleek cows come up out of the Nile and graze. And then he sees seven starving cows come up, and the seven starving cows eat the seven fat cows. Now, this, this dream is very disturbing to Pharaoh. So I, I'm envisioning that the graphics here are not like cartoon graphics, but literally this, these healthy cows literally begin to eat with all the violence and blood that you could imagine coming from that, right? The starving cows begin to eat these healthy cows, and it's, it's, it's totally ugly. Um, they, eat, they eat the seven fat cows, but they don't get any fatter, and they just stay gaunt. And he says they were the ugliest cows he had ever seen in that passage. And he says this dream is so ugly. Now, imagine it. It actually wakes him up. It's a, you know, it's not like a cartoon. It's like a violent, ugly thing that's happening. And then he falls back to sleep. But then another dream starts, that he, and he sees seven fat ears of corn sprout on a single stalk. And then seven scrawny ears sprout up after them and eat the healthy ears. And he wakes up from this now, and he's really disturbed. This dream, this nightmare has really gotten to him. And so he calls all the magicians. He, he, you know, maybe you've had a dream sometime where you've realized there's something more to this. It's not just, uh, it's not just a bad night. It's not just, uh, you know, I was having a problem sleeping. There's something more to this. And that's what he has. He has this, this, he has this dream, and he has this sense that there's something to this. This, is, this was... This was a, like a message. And, and Pharaoh calls all the magicians and wise men to help him by interpreting the dream. And they come one after another, but no one can interpret the dream to Pharaoh's satisfaction. So they make attempts, they make efforts to interpret the dream, but none of the things that they say bring any sense of peace into Pharaoh's heart. He hears them. But he goes, no, that's not it. That's not it. No, I don't see that. No, that's not it. He, he hears them, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, touch his heart in, in, in the way that he can feel a sense of satisfaction. So um, during this process, this procession of wise men that, that come, the cupbearer suddenly realizes that he might be able to help. But he's got a thing he's got to work through, too, because he, he sees the situation. He realizes, wow, I know somebody that can interpret dreams. I know somebody who interpreted a dream that was absolutely right on. He predicted the future. It was absolutely right on. But he says, if I bring this up to Pharaoh, it's going to remind him of, you know, when I was in prison and everything like that. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to remind. And he struggles with it, but he, 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 he goes ahead and he speaks to Pharaoh and he gets the courage to tell, uh, to tell Pharaoh his story. And when that happens, it says this, verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said that, uh, about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh the favorable answer. And then I put in your notes that scripture, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time.
Wow. There's a proper time. There's a moment. Everything was going one way, and in a moment, everything turned. Just like everything can turn, you know, in a sense, bad in a moment, everything now has turned toward the purpose and the fulfillment of God's will. It's turned toward the good. He says that he may exalt you at the proper time. And in your notes, I put down hints on the proper time of God. How do we know when it's the proper time of God? Here's a couple thoughts I want to give you, okay? Number one, he exalts me when I realize I am powerless to help myself. Wow. Coming to the place, he's gone through blow after blow after blow finally forgotten for two years and finally he's come to the place that he realizes he is powerless to help himself you know some of you have uh, you still have the belief in your heart that wow if I just work a little harder if I just buckle down if I really wanted it if I was really serious you know, I'm not doing so good, but if I was really serious about it, then I could do what I want to do. I could go after it. And you've got this thing inside yourself in this kind of way. And, and, and you're not going to, he's just going to, he just leaves you. When you have that kind of thing inside yourself where you, you still think there's something in you that's going to make the purpose of God happen, he just says, okay, just, he, they need another, they need another round Right? They need another round, you know, one more thing, until they come to that place where they just absolutely surrender and they realize, I am powerless to help myself. You know, they've discovered this very thing. If you ever have been a part of a 12-step group where um, uh, people are trying to break free from alcohol or drug addiction or something like this, like the very first step is the realization, number one, I have, you have to come to the point that you realize that you are powerless to help yourself and you need some kind of help from some other source. This does not happen, there's just something in us, this does not happen, uh, you know, just by a normal good times kind of life. It happens when you face and have to confront difficulty. When you try and you fail and you have to deal with failure. When you've been brought up in a home that's been all screwed up and family has been messed up and all these kinds of things. And you, you, know, you go through these trials and why am I going through this and why is this happening? And what's going on? And you're just thinking to yourself, I, just, you know, I could just do this and I could just do that. And, I, and then finally you come to the place. This is what happened with Joseph. He came to the place that he realized I'm powerless to help myself. I can't do, I can't do it, you know, you know, I can't do it. And then finally, uh, number two, he exalts me when I realize the answers are not in my abilities or skills, but God gives the answers. You know, I was traveling recently and with a pastor and the pastor was so frustrated as they were talking to me. You know, you, when you get involved in big kingdom business, so there's going to be, a, you know, right now your world is kind of self-centered and kind of focused on you. I mean, you come to a, you're, you're at a place that the whole place exists because of you. So, you know, everything is kind of like focused in in that kind of way. 
And you will come to a place, though, when you leave here, where you're going to get out there and you're going to realize the whole world is not focused on you. And all of your abilities, you know, you're going to try, you're going to try to do something for God. You're going to step out and say, I want to be used of God. I want the Lord to flow through me. And you're going to try to do something for God. And you're going to give every effort that you can give. And you're going to fail. And when that happens, you either descend, you either descend into a place of, of uh, depression and disappointment and regret. And, and you, know, you know, God can't use me. You know, kind of, you just, you just kind of... You just kind of, you can either go down, you know, or you can do what this guy did. When he exalts me and I realize that the answers are not in my abilities or skills, but God gives the answers. I was with a pastor, as I was saying recently, and he was just looking at me with really with tears in his eyes, going, I've tried everything I can try. He's pastor of a small church that he's, you know, worked very hard for many years to try and see that church develop and see that church grow. And he's given himself and poured himself out and just gone after it. And it just isn't happening. It just isn't happening. And he looked at me, you know, is it me? Is there some, you know, what, what, what is it? He, he, he was, he's being brought to the place, right, that he realizes all of my abilities, all my skills, all my education, everything I have, I can't do it. God has got to do something in this. See, that's, that's a hint that he's getting ready for something powerful to happen, the proper time, you know, the proper time. Um, you know, I can remember 1994, I've mentioned to you before, uh, that there was a revival that happened here at the school. It was really quite amazing. Uh, it wasn't just at the school, actually, it was in the church. But, the, but it was an amazing thing that happened where for a period of weeks, we actually had services three times uh, a day, and they just went for hours, and, or actually twice a day, rather. They went for five hours each, the services that w went on. And the power of God was coming and just doing tremendous things. But the whole thing began um, when a friend contacted me. I was pastor of the church. And a friend contacted me and said, I've got this guy at my church. He says, I just sent something so powerful. He said, I think you should have him uh, come to your church. And uh, I thought, really? I, you know, I, I didn't know the guy. I didn't know the situation. Didn't know. But I really believed in the person who was speaking to me. So I said, okay, I'll have it. So I, we, it was like a call the meeting. You know, we're going to start this coming uh, Sunday. It's going to be the first meeting. We're having this special speaker come in. Well, the guy comes in, and the guy could not preach his way out of a paper bag. What I'm saying, he was just terrible. And I'm a, you know, preaching is one of the things, you know, I feel like a communication is one of my, you know, strong suits, you know. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. This guy is really terrible. I mean, he's just terrible, just terrible, all kinds of I mean, it's just crazy. So, so, but he begins preaching. He preaches. It's not what he's saying or anything like that. But all once the Spirit of God starts moving in the church, right? People that I have preached at for a decade that basically haven't not moved an inch. You know what I mean? I mean, they haven't, I, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't claim they grew any. They just seemed to me like they were wallowing in their life and in their problem and their everything else. This guy ministers, 
and the power of God touches these people, and more gets accomplished in a week than had been accomplished in 10 years of me preaching to these people. I mean, total families turned around, tremendous things occurring, tremendous things happening. And as I'm looking at this thing, I'm realizing something. You know, I'm realizing, Mike, you're relying on your gifts. You're relying on your strengths. You're relying on your abilities. But the reality is the answer is in me. Right? It doesn't mean deliberately be bad at something you're good at. It's not what, but he's trying to say to me, you can't put your trust in what you have, your abilities. You've got to put your trust in me. He's the one who can do it. Um, uh, number three, he exalts me in a way I can't manipulate. That's one of the things that we see. When it comes time for God to lift you up, he lifts you up in a way that you get no credit for it. You know, all at once things just break loose and, and things start happening and you, you can't take any credit for it at all. It's just the Lord doing it. I, I remember... Um, you know, you can't make what happened needs to happen. I remember it was like the first or second year I was here as president of the school, and we were in a financial crisis. I mean, just an absolute terrible situation where literally we need, needed hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I had no solution. I had no, no, nothing I could come up with, no idea, nothing else. And I can remember I get this telephone call, from uh, a former student. Now, when I say a former student, he, he had been in the school the previous five years, right? So it's not like, you know, somebody who has gone out and done a whole bunch of stuff or something like this. But he'd been in the school. And as a matter of fact, this guy who calls me, when he had left, he had been here, graduated, and then had gotten involved in my church where I was the pastor. And, and the, some of the stuff he did in the church, I had to really kind of discipline him and deal with him about. And uh, when he left, we were not necessarily on good terms. And so this guy calls me up. And uh, he calls me up and, you know, I, hey, how, you know, how you doing? How you doing? We're, so we're talking away. Things are going good. And he, he says... Uh, he starts to tell me something. He said, you know, I left school and, you know, went through this and went through that and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And finally, I became the pastor of this little church, you know, kind of a thing. And I've been the pastor of a little church. Well, this little church had been involved in a court case in their community for a period of years before he ever got started there. It wasn't him that did it. But they had been involved in this court case. And uh, he says, we won this court case. And, uh, and we've, just, we've just received millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And he said, I want to send you $100,000. And I burst out laughing when he, did it, when he said that to me. Because I thought to myself, this is the last person on planet Earth <laughs> that I would have thought would send me $100,000, right? for the school. This is the last person on planet Earth, right, that I thought would say, and I just burst out laughing. He said, why are you laughing? And I said, because this is like really unexpected, buddy. This is really unexpected. I said, uh, you know, I didn't even think you liked me, you know. I mean, it's it, it just, just like crazy. Last person on planet Earth. Answer, an answer that I could not have come up with in a million years. So he sends me $100,000. Then a month later, I get another phone call 
And he says, I feel like the Lord has spoken to us. We're supposed to send you another $100,000. It's like, you know, it's, it's you know, and so, 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 you know, he exalts me in a way I can't manipulate. You see what I mean? I couldn't have made that happen in 100 years. I could not have made that happen. I didn't even know what was the situation. So I can't claim any. I know that God pulled the school out. It wasn't my remarkable leadership. It wasn't, you know, anything. God just pulled the, the, the school out of the situation that it, that it was in. You know, if we can control the future, then the future is our responsibility. And this is why people get tremendous anxiety, because they think that somehow through their performance, they're going to control what happens ahead of them. You know, I'm going to be good, and therefore good things are going to happen, right? If, if good things happening is dependent on you being good, we're all in trouble. Okay? You cannot, you don't, you're not going to be able, you cannot control the future. And it's good you can't control the future, because if you could control the future, you, you're responsible for the future. Right? You can't do it. And just come, you know, he just comes to the place where he just realizes God is not sharing his glory with me. All of, we, we've, we've, we've enumerated many good qualities that Joseph had, but none of his good qualities are what saved him in this situation. It's, it's the Lord doing it. It's, it's the faithfulness of God. That's all we can trust in. Okay, number four. He exalts me in a way that will bring him the most glory. That's, when it's time for him to lift me up, he's going to lift me up when it brings him the most glory. You know, if Joseph had been remembered two years before, he would have been nothing more than a novelty. But those additional two years of him stewing in that prison, being there, not only did something in him, but literally all that God was working on in the nation and in the world, it was all for the fullness of time, for that moment now where Joseph would be lifted up. And he wouldn't just be a novelty, some guy who could interpret dreams. He would be a national treasure. He would make an impact that would affect and change the whole world. God knows what he's doing. He has a timing. He's working in your life. You know, you want him to jump ahead. You want him to move ahead. But he knows what he's doing. And he's going to exalt you at the proper time. He's going to do it. Okay, let's look at verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are, seven, are also seven years. And the dreams are the one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that come up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. Now, let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action and appoint overseers 
in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain for the food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Okay, so here's this guy now. Uh, th- he's got a few things against him, right? First of all, he's a, he's a Hebrew, and they were not really popular in Egypt, right? And uh, second of all, he's, a, he's, a, uh, uh, he's coming out of the prison, right? This guy is like a, you know, what would you think if somebody came to you that was of a nationality or a race or something like that that you, you know, you had a little fear about or a little hesitation about, and then on top of that, they also were a convict coming out of prison, right? And yet somehow Pharaoh hears this guy and he knows this is the word. This is the answer. This is the right thing, right? And so I, I put down, what, 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 why did Pharaoh trust Joseph? What, what, what was it about him? All, he had all the, the magicians and wise men of Egypt. He heard them say stuff, and he went, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. But he hears Joseph, and he goes, this is it. This is it. Okay, so what are some of the reasons? First of all, Joseph gave an answer that produced peace in Pharaoh's heart. Joseph gave an answer that produced peace in Pharaoh's heart. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In Colossians 3.15 it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Everything fit together. And that's one of the things we always look for when a prophetic word comes our way. If, you re- if somebody comes to you with a prophecy, uh, one of the things you always want to do is you always want to take that and go, do I, am I, do I have a sense of peace? Is there a confirmation? Do I have a witness in my spirit that this thing is right? That is, um, that, that's a very important thing for you to be able to have. I think another reason that he, that he uh, trusts um, Joseph is Joseph gave the credit to God. He said, it's, it's not me, it's God. It's not me, it's God. You know, God, God did it. Uh, God, God's giving you this answer. It's not me, it's God. He gives the credit to God. He doesn't say, you know, yes, I studied, uh, you know, dream interpretation. Uh, yes, I got this. Yes, I'm the only person who can do this. He doesn't. God did this. Number three, Joseph had the confidence of a person who had been with God. And this is one of the things we see the Bible talks about, that when you have actually been with the Lord, there's a confidence that you have. The Bible says it this way in one place in Proverbs. It says, the righteous are as bold as a lion, right? The righteous are as bold as a lion. In another place, it says, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. He had that confidence about him, the kind of confidence you get when you have gone through a bunch of rough circumstances and rough situations and challenging issues in your life, and yet God has brought you through. There starts to be an air about you. There starts to be a, a, a and he had that confidence uh, in him. And, and then last of all, number four, Joseph never asked Pharaoh for anything. Joseph knows now that his deliverance is in the hands of God. Um, and Pharaoh knows that it is always dangerous to get information from someone who is trying to sell you something. That is a, 
you know, that, that's a, a really important thing, right? If, if he had come on, if he had, if he had shared this dream and stuff, and then come on and said, hey, look, and I'm the guy who can do this for you, you know, then, then all at once Pharaoh would have gone, oh, what was motivating this guy? Was he doing this because he was trying to get something from me? You know, what's, what's really going on inside of him? What's really motivating him? But Joseph never asked Pharaoh for anything. He just does what God told him to do. He's entrusting himself to the hands of God. You remember when he dealt with the, you remember when he dealt with the, with the cupbearer and the baker? He gives them the dream, and then what does he immediately do? Huh? No, yeah, well, the guy forgets the dream. But what does he gives them the dream? He tells them, he tells them the dream, and then immediately he follows it up and he says, Now, he says, when you get into king's palaces. Remember me, right? Who's he thinking about? You know, he's trying, he's trying, he's, he, 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 I helped you with this dream. Now you, you helped me. Now, now, two years later, he's been forgotten, everything else. All that's out of Joseph. That spirit's not in, in, in him anymore. And this time he tells Pharaoh the dream. And he just tells him the dream. He tells him the interpretation. And he doesn't say a word. He doesn't say, hey, Pharaoh, and, you know, since I did this for you, you're going to have favor on me? Hey, Pharaoh, are you going to lift me up out of my situation? He doesn't say a single thing. And so Pharaoh is presented with this situation that, that Joseph lays out for him. And he thinks about it. And he says, Pharaoh decides Joseph is the one to do this great feat. And that no one, uh, you know, basically can do it. You know, he's the person to do it. And he puts him in charge. And he's second only to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh does, uh, Joseph does exactly as he outlines. And he stores up grain beyond his ability to measure it. And so Pharaoh, this story, this portion of the story ends with an interesting, an interesting portion that I think is really important. We're going to end on this, uh, this thought here. Pharaoh gives him a chariot and a wife. And Joseph's wife gives him two sons. And I want you to see what he names his two sons. Uh, verse 51 here, he says this. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And then he named the second Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So he's, 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 basically what he's saying here is, I've received these two children come and, and they represent the two great gifts that he feels he has received from God. He doesn't say, you know, this one has delivered me from the prison cell, you know, and give him a name that means that. That's not what he says. He, he names them after the two things that he's come to see that God has done through all of the trials that he's gone through. Number one is this. God's taken the emotional sting out of my memories. God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Now, God is not going to cause you to forget what's happened to you because that's where the lessons are. The lessons are in what you've gone through. But, but he, he can take the sting from old hurts. You know, maybe, you, maybe you're still struggling with rejection because of neglect that you received as a child. Uh, you, you know, maybe, maybe the rejection of a boyfriend or a girlfriend at a critical formative time in your life. Maybe a teacher spoke critical words over you and you've, you took those words and brought them into your heart and they've become like a defining 
word in your heart about you. Uh, maybe you've heard the mocking of schoolmates and you've heard the jeering on a playground and, and you took those comments that were made, those things that were said, and you've taken them into your, inside yourself and they carry with you right now an emotional sting. And, 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 and he says here, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father. He says he's taken the sting out of my memories. He's not going to remove your memories, but he can take the sting. He can take the poison that's come into you from some of the things that have touched your life, right? Hey, look, I'm no fool. I, I, I know, you know, you're here, some of you, uh, you know, 18 even, uh, 19 years old. You're here, and, and people would say, well, what could they have experienced? What could have touched them? What could have hurt them? I know. I know you have been hit and you have been hurt and you have been touched and things have, you've had things happen in your life. Things that are affecting the way you make decisions today because you still carry the sting around with you. Jo Joseph is saying this. He says, God has the power to, to pull the poison out, to suck the sting out. So that, no, is the memory going to go away? The memory will always be there, but the memory will not have any more power over me anymore. And, that, and, and then he, Joseph says, there's a second thing that God did for me. He said, um, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Or, or God can make you bloom where you are planted. Have you heard that expression before, haven't you? You can bloom where you're planted. What is it? He made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Uh, you know, for some of you, Elam is the land of your affliction, right? <laughs> you are here right now, and it's like you, you look at it, and it feels to you like the whole place has been designed to torment you in some way. You know, it's, a, it's like a major, you know, th this is the land of your affliction, right? And is it possible, when I'm in this afflicted place, is it possible, this land of affliction, is it possible for me to rise above it? Is it possible for me to grow? Is it possible for me to be a, a person who, who um, uh, doesn't descend into bad attitudes and attacking people and, and, and bitterness? And, and all? Is it possible that in this land of affliction that I can actually be fruitful, that I can rise up. And Joseph says, hey, what God did in my life, these 14 years, I've, I've walked through this suffering, these 14 years, I can say God did two things for me. During, they're the two greatest things. I'm going to name my children after these things. The two greatest things he did for me is he took the sting out of my memories and he made me bloom where I was planted. In the place of difficulty, I did not have to succumb to that, but I could still rise above it. I could rise out of it in that situation. Let's just bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord. Can we do that? You know, as you're here right now, and I'm, I was talking about the sting of past memories, you, you have some sting in your memories. That is, the memories have a power over you. And God is asking you right now to offer him those memories, to 
to literally invite him in to those memories, for you to realize that though you seem so alone and you were so vulnerable, that he was in the midst of that situation and that he has a plan for you and that he's not going to allow the neglect you experienced. He's not going to allow the rejection you experienced. He's not going to allow the, the loss you experienced. He's not going to allow that pain to dominate your life. But instead, you're going to become a comforter. And you are going to have that pain removed. And you're going to be able to give comfort to those who have need. You're going to comfort with the comfort with which you have been comforted. You're going to be able to lay hands on people and help them find release in their situations. Because God took the sting out of your memories. He took the poison out so that you could minister and be the person that God has called you to be. And God wants to show himself to you right now that he can make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. That you don't have to say, well, you know, I guess happy days are someday in the future. I guess joy is something you experience when everything goes good. But literally, God can take you in the midst of your affliction. And he can make you fruitful. He can enable you to grow and to bloom where you're planted rather than for you to yield to the affliction and just kind of give up and lose your sense of purpose and lose your sense of mission, lose your sense of call. He's going to make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. Now, if either one of those two promises that Joseph received, relate to you today. Would you just lift both your hands up in the air? I just want to pray for us all right now, just that God would just minister to us. Lord, round the room, hands are lifted up right now. And Lord, I pray, first of all, where people are carrying the sting of past memories with them. I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you will drain away the poison of those memories right now, right out of their system, that they'll be able to remember them but it won't have power over them anymore. And the, the, the sting of those memories will not, it won't be active in their life anymore. You did that for Joseph. I believe you can do it for us right now. I believe that that's exactly what you have been doing. Even this first semester, many that are here at the school and the others that have been here for a couple of years, this is what God has been doing inside of you. He's been healing you emotionally. He's been touching you and healing you. And then for those that have lifted their hands because they're, they're, they, they're in a place of, of needing to be fruitful in their affliction. Their, their, their affliction, Lord, they've allowed it to, to uh, triumph over them. And uh, as a result, they've even seen their affliction as an as a excuse for them to uh, take a pass and maybe do some things that they shouldn't do. And somehow because I'm afflicted, it's okay but Lord, we just reject all of that thinking right now. We ask you to do for us what you did for Joseph, Lord. That in the midst of our affliction, you would cause us to be fruitful. That we would bloom where we're planted. We, we're not in some spiritual greenhouse. That literally in our times of trial, you would give us what we need to rise above our times of trial. 
We thank you for it. We thank you for the example of Joseph. We thank you for the life of Joseph, Lord. And we ask you to, we, don't, we, we see it as an example of what you're calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.